The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number 143 for Monday, February 25th, 2008. <laughs> Welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab. I'm Dave Hamilton. Of course, that was John Braun introducing the show, and we are here to talk about uh, all kinds of stuff, actually. How are you, John? Fantastic. Excellent. Excellent, excellent. You made it back from Boston okay? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it wasn't too bad. The trip up, uh, the first time ever, the Acela was late. Really? Yeah, 40 minutes. I was in New Haven and I looked up on the the cool board there and all of a sudden it it made a chattering sound and it said a cell of 40 minutes late from Washington. But it looked like a lot of trains, so I I think it was weather or something like that. But um, the one thing that got me all cranky, though, is so I'm getting on the train and I'm looking around for a seat. And there were so many cases where other people had like piles of garbage in an otherwise available seat. Hmm. Eventually I found a seat, but, uh, you know, that's kind of the breaks when you get on a station that's farther up the line. But still... Hmm. Yeah, but I got a seat, and the 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 one coming back was 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 excellent. So oh, good, good, good. Uh, all right. So we have we have all kinds of stuff to talk about, John. We've got we talked last week a little bit about uh, wireless networks, and we're going to kind of uh, talk a little more about that. Hopefully, put it to bed. We've got uh, talk. We've got some things about upgrading software and hardware, and uh, some tips actually from you folks to share with the rest of you folks. So we've got all kinds of stuff. But John, you. I, we got to go through this. You you were you, you noted that there was the iTunes what seven six one update <laughs> I believe that came and uh, and and you read through the EULA and uh, the end user license agreement uh, the EULA that's what they yeah EULA is. and and I'm not the first I think it may have nope. been in Gadget or another site that noted this but I also you know I went through the the um, I mean most people just click and say agree and they figure it has no impact on their life but the the, the one part that I found was kind of funny now it's pretty much a, a boilerplate thing for export control, but it says, uh, I just thought it was funny in terms of the iTunes license agreement that you agree that you will will not use these products, which in this case is the iTunes software, for any purpose prohibited by United States law, including without limitation, the the development, design, manufacture, production of missiles or nuclear, chemical, or biological weapons. And I had no idea that iTunes had such power. It is a it is a wide reaching application there, John. This this thing can be used to do just about everything. So of course, also now I'm I'm sure that by mentioning all of those things in one phrase, that whatever monitoring facilities are out there in the world will <laughs> have just automatically picked up and subscribed to this podcast. Welcome to our podcast. Well, you know, we we talk about how we like to get more more subscribers, and so that that's one way of the you know three letter of... agencies, no problem. Hi guys, <laughs> welcome, welcome aboard. We're uh, happy to have you. That's right. Uh, all right, so I, I'm going to let Chadwick kind of uh, step into this, but there were many, many emails and uh, voicemails that came in. Of course, let's talk about that. If you want to send in a voicemail, uh, you can call 206-666-GEEK, which is 4335. Four, That's right. Okay. And then you can also email feedback at macgeekgab.com. Or you can Skype a message to Mac Geek Gab over on Skype. So any one of those will get a message to us. You can email, you can voicemail, you can record an audio and send it through. Uh, any of the above, you know, always happy to hear from you. So with that, Chadwick, I believe he called in, but uh, no matter. We've got him here now. So uh, but there were many, many of you that that 
kind of there was some confusion last week when we oh, talked we? about uh, mixed wireless networks. I'm going to let Chadwick bring us into it, and then we'll 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 kind of bring it out. I, I think there we go. Hey guys, this is Chadwick from Columbus. Just listening to your most recent episode, one four two, and was following up on Antonio's question about the double router situation. Um, all of the uh, information you gave him, I thought, was spot on. Um, when you talk about uh, making your second router a bridge and all of that. Um, however, I wanted to follow up and say it seemed to me like he was his goal was to get um, wireless in speeds through his for his MacBook Air um, with this second router. And um, I'm under the impression that when the only way to get true wireless in speeds is if you only have in devices on your network. As soon as you add one G or B device, um, I'm under the impression that that pulls everything down to only G, G speeds. And so I wanted to see if, if that if that is true um, from what I've heard about that. And if that's the case, then really he's, Antonio is not going to gain anything by adding this second router um, in order to get these higher end speeds because since he still has G stuff on his network. Is that correct? Anyway, love the show and uh, have a great week. Bye-bye. Okay. Uh, so there's two things to talk about here. One is that, yes, if you have slower speed devices connected to the same wireless access point as higher speed devices, you are going to see a speed decrease from... Uh, from the maximum available for the higher speed devices. And let's talk a little bit about this, John, right? Because uh, you did some research along these lines. A, a decrease, I would say, but not. So a lot of times what I've read, they'll say, all right, if you get, for example, in the case of a, a B and a G, a B being a, an 11 megabit network and a G being a 54 megabit, I've seen a lot of people say, oh, well, if you get one B device on a G network, then it's going to drag everybody down. And that's not entirely true. Um, the, the, the reality is that you will see a hit. Um, if you're only in G mode and no other, and you only have G clients, you will get the maximum speeds. And we actually found one pretty interesting benchmark. So, so one thing, and, and you and I have both pointed this out in the past, Dave, is that you're never going to see the, the fully advertised speed. It's almost like hard drives, though, maybe worse. Well, let's say 54 megabits, but you're never going to see that actual throughput. But but in the case, I found this one benchmark, which sounds reasonable. If you only have a G network, then you're probably going to see about 25 megabits a second full throughput. If you're in compatibility mode, then you're probably going to see about 15 megabits. But it doesn't drag you down to what you're going to see on, 11, on a B network, which is about six. So it is true if you have devices that are on the slower standard, and I think this applies in all cases, it's not so much that it drags it down to the slowest speed, but because the radio has to switch between different languages, if you will, that in and of itself, and also sometimes packet sizes and stuff, just the fact that it has to deal with all these different people within a fixed uh, frequency range means it is going to slow down. So... You know, if at all possible, try to isolate them, as we pointed out in the past, then you will get the maximum speed. Uh, the, you know, as I mentioned here, I mean, uh, and actually I think, Dave, you observe this, I do have a B device on my G network. And looking at this chart here, right, so I'm potentially dragging my network down to 14.4 megabits versus 24.4. But, yeah, it's a hit, but it, it depends what you're doing. I mean, if you're doing a lot of surfing and a lot of, you know, heavy, heavy downloads, and that may be 
not worth it. I mean, what I really should do is just upgrade my uh, <laughs> print server to right. Uh, G. Right. Okay. So yeah. So you know, if you're if you've got multiple devices of multiple uh, of differing network speeds connected to the same wireless access point, yes, that there there is the potential for slowing the 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 faster ones down, not all the way to the the same speed as the lower one, but somewhere in the middle. However, uh, that's not what we were talking about. Last week, we were talking about having a separate base station for the faster speeds. And it it got confusing, apparently, because there's this talk, the the whole concept of of the word network, right, is, is used in a lot of different ways. So we've got the wireless network, and then really what we're talking about is having everything on the same um, virtual network, which is your Ethernet address, your, sorry, your IP addresses, right? You, the idea is you want all of these devices, some connected via Ethernet, some connected to your 802.11b or router, some collect, connected to your 802.11g router, and perhaps some connected to your 802.11n router. You want all of them to be in the same subnet, to all have IP addresses in the same range so that things like Bonjour and, uh, and, and various stuff like that all just works. So you're, you're not having multiple routers. Now that's where it gets confusing because most of us, when we go out to say, okay, look, I've got a wireless router here and it's connected to my cable modem or my DSL modem and it's just serving ethernet and wired and it's doing all in one. Well, that's right. It is. It's multiple devices in one, right? First of all, it's a router. Second of all, and the router takes the data from the network and sends it out over the cable modem and brings the data in from the cable modem and sends it back to the network. That's what the router does. Then it's also an ethernet switch, right? Because you've got more than one ethernet port on it. So it's, it's able to connect. And this switch is just connected directly to the router. On top of that, it's a third device. It's a wireless access point. When we go to connect the second router to just serve the 802.11n clients in in Anthony's example from last week. Really, what we're doing is, as we said, we're putting it in dumb mode. We're putting it in bridge mode. We're effectively turning the router portion off. We're using maybe one port on the Ethernet switch, and then we're also we're really just using it as a wireless access point. Most of the time these days, though, wireless access points aren't sold independently. They're just sold bundled in with routers. So we're turning off all this other functionality. So yes. We are on the same network in terms of IP addresses, but if you've got a client connecting to your 802.11n base station and all it's doing is serving N, and then you've got clients connecting to your other base station and they're running it, let's say 802.11g or 802.11b, those are, those are separate. They're not going to interfere with each other in terms of network uh, wireless network speeds, so long as they're on different channels. And, and of course, you can set the end to go into the five gigahertz range, and then you're certainly not going to be uh, conflicting with each other. So I, I realize it gets a little confusing. I, I hope we're I hope we've kind of set the record straight on this and and uh, and done it. But yes, it will work. Uh, I, some of you are doing it. So I, I know I'm doing it here um, with multiple wireless base stations or wireless access points. Sorry. And it works. Uh, so trust us, this this is the right way to go. So that's, I think that's that, right? That's that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, you, you know, I, I want to tell you, John, about our first sponsor for this show, uh, which is Rage Software. We talked about them for the first time last week. Rage Software makes 
a bunch of different products all geared towards the uh, web publisher. You've got your website out there. Maybe it's a blog. Maybe it's a corporate site. Maybe it's, you know, for your business or whatever. But you want to get it into the search engines. You want to know where it is in the search engine rankings. Uh, you want to know how you're doing with your Technorati rankings. And you can use uh, various pieces of Rage software. Of course, it's all available at RageSW.com. The first one is Rage SE Rank, which uh, lets you track all of your domains and lets you see where you are in terms of all the other uh, keywords that you've got out there and all sorts of different data that, that lets you really kind of see where your website's falling in all the search engines. Then you use Rage Domainer to track all your domains. It'll actually track when, where you've registered them, when you uh, need to renew them. But it'll also uh, show you different stats. It'll pull in where you've got your uh, Technorati links, where you've got uh, different incoming links from, and really kind of give you a, a picture that you can pull all of this data from different places, but all in one place, you can see your, your Alexa page rank and you can see or your Alexa ranking and then your, your Google page rank and, and really kind of pull all this into one place where you've got all this data and you can start, start to aggregate it together. And again, all this is available at RageSW.com from Rage Software. Moving on here, Grady writes in, John, and Grady has perhaps the age-old question. I'm about hmm. to purchase a new iMac. Since I have to f sacrifice some things, I was wondering if it is better to have one gigabyte of RAM and a 2.4 gigahertz processor or two gigabytes of RAM and a 2.0 gigahertz processor. I don't really understand processor speeds. If you could help me out and let me know which is better, I would be grateful. All right, Grady. Uh, John, you want to uh, start off with this one? <laughs> Oh, and this is a battle. But I would say, in my opinion, well, first off, I'm, I'm going to bound this question. I was going to jump right in and say, I'd much rather have more RAM than processor. But I'm going to back off and say, it depends on what you're doing. And a lot of times in the computer world, you, you got to, now we, we mentioned some tools, I think both, you know, our favorite, Dave, is menu meters. Right. It depends on what you're doing. So I would say, if you do a lot of tasks which are processor intensive, like um, Dave can attest to this, audio conversion work, video conversion work, stuff like that. If you use menu meters and your, your processor is pegged and you don't want to wait hours for things and you want to wait you know, maybe a couple of you know, less hours, go for the processor. But I would say for the most part, uh, RAM, I mean, one gigabyte, especially with a modern OS and if you're running a lot of apps and... You know, one tip, again, people, if you're not running an application, quit it so you're not taking up any RAM that you're not using. Um, I would opt for, uh, ah, is that the red phone? It, <laughs> I would it opt is the for, red phone. I would opt for. Uh, sorry about the hiccup there, John. I, I did have to take that back call, and I'll rant about that in a minute. But let's get back to this. You, are, you were saying. Yeah, well, in general, I, I, I would say if I had to order what I would get for a typical user, unless you have some extreme requirements, I would say get more RAM, then get more disk, then get more CPU. And that's just my experience with at least portable computers and uh, yeah, desktops too. But uh, I would, uh, that's the order that I place the resources in is because you, you take a big hit when you run out of memory, uh, somewhat, with, somewhat more with disk, but CPU rarely, well, I don't know. Again, it depends what you do, but I, I rarely see cases where CPU is what's limiting you from 
from getting you know the the most bang for your buck uh, um, uh, what are your views dave i actually i agree wholeheartedly uh, i think you know certainly you, you want to buy as much cpu as you can afford um but you you want that money to first be spent on ram um you know if you've got anything left over then it certainly makes sense to buy as much cpu as you can afford because it is going to help you down the road right the the, the faster it is that the longer you're going to be able to hang on to that machine. But like my current MacBook Pro, right? As we all know, I'm on a first gen MacBook Pro. Hopefully, maybe tomorrow that'll change. Right, John? Maybe, maybe. The, yeah, well, <laughs> we, we say that every week. So I don't, I don't know my hopes up. It'll but, happen uh, someday. It, it will happen someday. That's right. So, but it's, it's uh, the architecture is limited to two gigs of RAM. And I'm going to be honest with you, for me, I know Grady was looking at whether to go from one to two. To me, that's a no brainer. Go to two. Don't even think about it. Go to two. But for me, two gigs isn't enough. I'm like you said, I'm paging out all the time and I'm diligent about quitting apps. It, it's I'm crazy about it. Now, part of that problem is because I, I am still running retrospect uh, to do my backups and retrospects running in uh, Rosetta emulation. And that just gobbles up Ram in the middle of the night when it, it, it pulls it in. But even still, even if I reboot in the morning, uh, it, it's still it, it by the, you know, by midday, I'm still, you know, knee deep into swap, probably, you know, a gigabyte into swap. And, and that does slow things down substantially. So, uh, yeah, Ram without a question, but the biggest thing I'm looking forward to with a new MacBook pro is that I'll be able to use four gigs of Ram in the thing. So, uh, definitely, definitely. Oh. Yeah. So the current, I thought there were some of the current batch that would do three. Is no, that the current batch will do four? The the current batch will. Okay. Yeah, mine mine won't. You said two. Well, mine. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. The current batch. So I, I'm pretty sure if they were to rev the model, they, they wouldn't go backwards on that. I'm pretty sure they'd be at, at least four as the uh, as the ceiling. So, yeah. So I would I would okay. do that. Because yes, my poor Dell, which was kind of current. It's a dual core. I think it actually has the same dual core processor is one of the first dual core Macs, but it's limited to two forever and ever. Right. Which is a BIOS limitation, which uh, I've seen, well, hey, both uh, Mac and Windows machines do that, which is uh, yeah. kind of annoying. It's just, it's the way, it's the way they roll. Yeah. <laughs> Can I rant a little bit here, John? So uh, is, it, is it about this call that you got? It is about this call that I got. The red phone? The red phone. So, uh, you all know that I've been complaining about problems with my iMac. And the problem is this. It's a G5 iMac, the ambient light sensor model, if that gives you some some framework. Two gigahertz G5. Uh, it, the hard drive died a couple, uh, a couple of weeks ago, as you, as you know. And uh, that made me decide that I need to start backing this machine up. It doesn't have any mission-critical data on it, but, uh, you know, re rebuilding the machine, not so much fun. Uh, don't really have the time to do that. Much better to have a backup and just, you know, go. So start backing up. Well, backups fail. You get about a gig to two gigs into the firewire transfer and it just craters. The drive just kind of falls off the machine. And wow. yeah, and I figured it out. The more firewire devices you have connected, the worse it is. But I've had it happen with only the drive connected. We've replaced the motherboard and nothing changes. I've tried it with multiple drives. The one thing that makes it worse is having an eyesight connected. But of course, we use this machine with an eyesight and we have multiple eyesights that we've tested with. So it's not any one eyesight as many of them. Uh, did you say there was a motherboard replacement already? Oh, yeah. Yeah, really, because it, it would almost sound to me like it's the uh, the Firewire bus or a transceiver or something like that. Yeah, because you mentioned that. Because, yeah, I mean, a Firewire device or a power supply thing, perhaps, because Firewire, you know, typically draws some juice. So. 
Oh, huh. well, the power supply was replaced in the fall. The hard drive was replaced a month ago. The motherboard was replaced a week ago. Solve so same problem. on all the individual pieces, you probably have something that's <laughs> new guts. Costs more. Yes. Yeah, that's right. It, it, it costs them more to replace all the guts than just give you. We haven't replaced the case or the screen yet. I'm pretty sure neither <laughs> one of those is the problem. Uh, but my well, my feeling is the problem is that this it's just this model iMac, but it shouldn't be right. I, I think it's just the life, you know, uh, the way they built it. But anyway, so, you know, Apple said, oh, send us some logs and we'll uh, you know, we'll we'll run them by our engineers and then we'll we'll get back to you. Well, that call was that we'll get back to you. In fact, they, they, they've been trying to reach me all night. We've been playing phone tech. But anyway, uh, so that was our the the, the liaison, the, the level two support tech that, you know, communicates with the engineers and then calls me back. Very, very, very nice guy. No problem with him. Uh, but they started telling me, they're like, well, uh, you know, you, you really should do these backups when you don't have an eyesight connected. I'm like, well, that doesn't really make sense because your backup software, i.e. time machine, uh, just kind of backs up whenever. And I can't really just, you know, yank the camera out as soon as I see the drive. That doesn't make any sense. So, mm, no, that's not really going to work. OK, so remember, I'm just passing along recommendations from the engineers. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Uh, and then the second one was we noticed from the log, sir, that you're using two different chips uh, of RAM in there. And in that machine, you're supposed to note the uh, word supposed to use uh, matched uh, pairs I'm like this is crazy, dude. You shipped it to me with a 512 meg stick in one slot and nothing in the other. What are you what are you saying? You can't possibly stand over there and say that this machine is supposed to run with matched pairs when you don't ship it that way. Oh, well, it would be better if you run match pairs. And then he sends me a knowledge base article, which indeed does say that if you use match pairs, you go from a 64 bit data bus to a 128 bit data bus. Great. You know, that's a beautiful thing. I'm sure there are times when when that actually would be a good thing for me. But, dude, it's not going to make a difference with the Firewire bus. You know, this is we're, we're grasping at straws here. And if you think I'm going to go buy RAM to fix a problem that's not going to be fixed by buying RAM, you're crazy. So that's uh, that that was Sounds like some firmer needs a little little tweak. Uh, you think? Yeah. So I'm going to call customer relations tomorrow and, and, uh, and yeah. see what we can do about this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah go for it. I, don't but, have time to, um, I, I wasted I, enough time on this thing. So, yeah. But, but still, yeah, the article that it, it was funny because you you <laughs> I, I, I am you the uh, the same article. Yes, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> the guy talked to you and it's like, okay, we both found the same thing. We both know how to navigate the uh, Apple knowledge base, which uh, actually for the most part is very nice. If you go to, oh, yeah. um, and I was asking you about the machine, uh, a, a little tip for people. If you go to support.apple.com slash specs, um, that's something you may want to look at, especially if you're running into some of these support issues, because that is supposed to be the final word, at least the official Apple word on what your machine supports. Now, a lot of times the machine supports something beyond, you know, for example, bigger RAM chips or bigger hard drives and stuff, but it's a place to start to just to make sure you're, you're not doing something crazy like using a PC, whatever RAM chip instead of a, you know, another type. Right. So you're not doing something horribly, horribly wrong for, for that machine if you get it used or something like that. So, uh, hmm, well, so it goes. The so yeah, so it goes. Pretty much that's <laughs> uh yeah, so it goes. All right. Let's uh let's let's get back to uh to stuff that we can feel productive talking about. And Jason has a question. Hi Dave and John, it's Jason from Sydney, Australia. In the last month I used up my entire download allowance for my ISP 
and mostly it was due to um, updates. We had the 10.5.2. I downloaded that at least three times, um, updated three machines, and plenty of other updates. Now, the thing is, in Tiger, it used to be easy to find these updates once they'd finished because it was the packages folder in the library folder. So you got computer, hard drive, library, packages. And what I used to do is I'd update one machine, pick up the packages from that folder, and then I'd use them to update the other machines. Under Leopard, uh, if you say in, in software update, if you say download and keep installers, it only does it if it doesn't have to restart. For example, iWork. There were three updaters. I, that was all I had to do. It downloaded those, did the update, and left them in the downloads folder, which is brilliant. But something like 10.5.2, it doesn't keep, unless there's somewhere else where it puts it. But as far as I can tell, it doesn't put it in hard drive, library, packages. That's gone. I'd just like to know if you knew where it stores these, if at all, because uh, it would save a lot of bandwidth if so. So, um, love the show. Uh, just like help with this one item so I can save some bandwidth. Thanks. Uh, all right. Well, I, I think the short answer is that software update does not save these um unless uh, except in the way that Jason described the ones that don't require reboots and and then they're left there sitting in the uh in the downloads folder. Uh so have you found anything different John or or no? No and I've we've talked about this but the right. the software update is substantially different in Leopard than it is in Tiger and that it's almost its own little app it quits everything else. So it looks like they do a better job of cleanup now it used to be the case uh, in some situations, um, but sometimes if you looked in the receipts folder, there'd be something that may have launched an installer. But I, and especially now in Leopard, I, I actually tried to you know poke around in a couple of receipts things, and if you launch it, it either set well. A lot of times now it says, "Dude, it's a receipt. What are you doing?" Um, right. So I think some installers used to do that, but I'm actually looking to our our love listeners to let us know where the heck is is this stuff stored i i it, it seems to me it does a very nice job now of cleaning up its mess which you know in the case of wanting to save bandwidth or, or reusing an installer is is bad yeah yeah I, I i find the same thing i i think really the uh the best thing in your situation jason to do would be to set software update not to automatically download, but to automatically check so that you'll know when these updates are there. And then instead of uh, going and letting software update pull them down, I would go mm -hmm. to Apple's website, download them manually, run them from the disk images, and then that way they're not going to magically disappear. You know, if you download the combined updater for 10.5.2, that's just going to sit there. Uh, it's not going to, you know, just disappear when after you reboot. Uh, so, you know, and then you can bounce it from machine to machine. I have also heard now I've never run leopard server, but I've heard that leopard server will pull these down and archive them all so that when clients connect it, it sort of acts as a cache, uh, you know, like a local cache of all the updates so that as clients connect it, just boom, it, you know, it does it. Uh, but again, that would require, 
A, dedicating a machine to Leopard Server and B, setting up Leopard Server, which you probably don't want to do. But, uh, you know, I, 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 if you do, it's great. So, uh, well, I think the, uh, the server product also does the uh, can do a remote install. So I think right. it's, it's within the scope of that product to maintain them in case you want to install. And also you can look at uh, uh, apple.com slash downloads. I don't have. Yeah, we'll find the exact. Uh, no, actually, that's a place to start. But, but the other strategy, yeah, would be to um, download the, uh, the things manually. As far as I can tell, it, it may not be available at the same time as the software update download, but eventually Apple will toss the uh, the software update as a standalone download, in which case you, you may want to, you know, just run software update for the, the sake of notification, but not download it, right. uh, I think, is, as you were kind of suggesting. So, yep. um, yeah, I mean, unfortunately, gosh, I mean, I guess his plan doesn't have a lot of bandwidth. Well, yeah, it's it's not. There's been a lot of talk about this kind of thing lately and overseas. uh, There's not it's not uncommon to have bandwidth limitations, monthly bandwidth allotments, if you will, for uh, your home, your residential connection, your your cable modem or your DSL. And, And there's actually some companies experimenting with that here in the States. It's being met with a lot of resistance. So I'm hoping that it doesn't catch on uh, because, you know, that would suck. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've seen, I, I mean, you and I have seen like, uh, are you Comcast? I think you're Comcast. I am, yeah. but, but But they, you know, they claim unlimited, but mm-hmm. it's only unlimited until you use enough to catch their eye and then, <laughs> then, then, you, then it's not. Then it's not, that's right, yeah. Yeah, but that that's a really high number. I mean, I, I've never hit that number. You know, we've, we run a ton of machines here and we're doing all kinds of stuff. I think really that's for the, you know, the, the people that are running BitTorrent twenty four seven on four different machines and just you know maxing out their pipe all month long. I think that that's kind of mm-hmm. what they're they're looking after. So, yep. All right, Mike writes in. I have a one point two five gigahertz G four iBook with one point two five gigabytes of memory, which is maxed out, running Mac OS ten point three. My wife and I have decided to get iPhones to replace our current cells, but they require at least 10.4. So should I upgrade all the way to Leopard or just to Tiger? The worry I have is whether or not my machine can handle 10.5 since it's only a little bit faster than the minimum requirements for the OS. One additional catch, though, Microsoft Office. I have a legal license to Office 2004, but I don't have my disk anymore. Not because I sold it, but because I lost it. And uh, he talks about why he's lost it here. Uh, Oh, sure. What's that? Yeah, he lived in New Orleans and moving all over the place after Katrina. And the course of eight months, he was in Florida, Georgia, New Jersey, Texas and Philadelphia. He's looked all over. He can't find the disk. The catch is he really needs not to lose the install of Microsoft Office. The deal is I can afford either two iPhones or one computer. And currently I need a phone more than a new computer. I have a couple of external hard drives that can be reformatted for backing up. Is the upgrade process relatively painless? And will I be able to save the installs? Okay, so uh, let's let's talk about this. Let's talk about the second issue first, John. Microsoft Office. Now, he's going to upgrade, and he's either going to use the Mac OS X default upgrade procedure, or he's going to use the archive and install. Much safer bet, especially coming from 10.3, to do the archive and install. Uh, right, because we've seen all the problems with Leopard with the uh, with just the default upgrade process. Although I am recording on a machine tonight that was done with the default upgrade process uh, on Friday, John, but that we'll talk about that another time. So I, I, you know, do the archive and install. Will it preserve Microsoft office? It should. I've never seen it. Not 
the archive and install preserves your user folder, I think, right, John, and, and then installs everything else around it. So I, I, I think you're fine there. Um, do, do you feel any differently on that, John? Um, a little bit of detail. I okay. would just keep an eye on. So preferences for apps that are for you are typically in your home folder, you know, the one with the little house slash library slash preferences. And then um, you will see a lot of files that have com dot something after them. The files that have com dot Microsoft dot something after them, you may want to hold on to them because they probably, and I verified this because I was goofing around with uh, uh, Office uh, 2008, is yes, those files get changed around and, and I would suspect one or more of them contain preferences or license keys and, and other fun stuff like that. So I would, um, although I think it does happen, maybe before you do you know, some migration, is to back up the uh, preferences folder um, just in case something useful is stored in those files. So that's the only additional thing I have to add to that. Yeah, actually, that's a that's a very wise move. It, it, you shouldn't need it, but that's exactly why you do a backup. Uh, so, yeah. OK, so so that that's one step. Now, as, as far as whether you should go to 10.4 or all the way to 10.5, um, my wife is running 10.5 on a 1.67 gigahertz G4 again with one point. I think it's one point two five gigs of RAM. And uh, and she's doing totally fine with that machine. It, it runs it runs great mm -hmm. for her. So. And I, I think you're you're in a similar boat with your uh, with your PowerBook G4 that you're right. You're you're 12 inch. Well, right? there's another boat and that's a uh, mom. Which oh, I don't think okay. mom listens. Hi, mom. But anyways, <laughs> mom has an iBook G4 and she's still on. Was it Panther? Yeah. 10.3. Just like this guy. Yeah. Or no, before that. Oh. Was it before that? May have been before okay. that. You know, I think it was before that. What what, what was before Panther? Ten point two, which was uh, um, uh, so Leopard. No, no, mm. no. I don't know what. Anyways, it doesn't matter. I think she's a. But when she got it, you know, it's an iBook G four. So yeah, but anyways, it's an older. I think it's two or three behind. But you know, if it ain't broke, it. Yeah. You know, mom's got the routine. She checks the email. She, you know, surfs on, you know, does the eBay thing. I don't want to change anything. <laughs> right. Well, he has to change, right? He's doing the iPhone thing, so yeah. he has no choice. I think that was Jaguar, right? Now that I'm thinking about it, right? Yeah, Jaguar. Jaguar, there you go. That's right. That's it. Jaguar, yes. I think so. I'm I checking here. It. Yeah, yeah, Wikipedia, Jaguar. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, Okay. Um. Yeah, so I, I would go all the way to Leopard if, uh, you know, dollars for donuts, if, if it's not going to, you know, if you can get Tiger dirt cheap, sure, go Tiger, you know, and you might be able to find Tiger dirt cheap these days. But otherwise, um, yeah, I would I would go to Leopard. I, I don't think there's any reason not to. You would. Yeah, I would. Well, if he's got to upgrade anyway, no reason not to. Yeah, yeah go all the way. Uh, all right. Our second sponsor for this show is Audio Engine at AudioEngineUSA.com. Audio Engine makes the a2 speakers now these are uh for 199 bucks uh they are little speakers two separate speakers self-powered you, you plug them into the wall uh they've either got rca inputs which are the the red and white things that come from your stereo or a mini eighth which will uh connect from your ipod or from your computer right into them and uh we use these a2s over in the house we we connect them to uh to the imac that uh that, that we 
you know, it's giving us all these fits, but it's not the speakers. <laughs> trust me. Uh, and it's and they, they really they fill the room. They've got a lot of low end. It's really something for a speaker, a small little speaker. They really, really deliver a solid punch. And at this price point, one ninety nine audio engine USA dot com. Check them out. All right. We talked last week, John, about sparse images. Did we now? We did. <laughs> of course we did. Now, we, we did kind of reach out to uh, Scott Barman and Scott to, to help us really fully understand these sparse images. And Scott delivers. So uh, without further ado. Hello, John and Dave. This is Scott and Dave Yes, I do have an answer for you about what a sparse image is. A sparse image is a disk image. It is a single file disk image that can be mounted as a regular file system. This is a pretty old concept. Actually, it was developed by Next Systems, so you could create a file on a disk and then mount the file system, and you could emulate various number of file systems. What a sparse image did was, instead of using a fixed disk size, which you would have to do if you were creating a disk image, a sparse image creates a variable size. So if you decide you want to create, say, a 40 gigabyte partition or a 40 gigabyte sparse image, your file would not take 40 gigabytes. It would be show an internal format of all the necessary layout items to max 40 gigabytes into a file, but it wouldn't use those extra tracks or that extra size unless needed. It is a very ingenious idea. One of the reasons why they use sparse images across a network is so you can, uh, this is the time machine, so that you can uh, say use a Windows-based system as a server and still get the same benefits because the sparse image would be formatted as an Apple file system, an ASP file, which would support hard links and the directory structure and things like that if you were to try to use the native Windows file system, whether it be FAT32 or NTFS, uh, you would lose that functionality. Uh, sparse images are what uh, the file folks uses. These are all a single file. And it's a very, very interesting technology, but for this purposes, that's as far as I'm going to go with it. I hope you guys are doing well and enjoy. Take care. Bye-bye. Uh, do you have anything to add to that, John, there, or any commentary on that? I'm going to be very sparse. <laughs> In other words, no. Okay. No, I think he's got it, man. Yeah. It's a, a very clever way of a... Well, well I would say the, the old approach was kind of a, you know, Stone Age approach to, to solve the problem. Well, you make a big image and make it as big as it would be in the physical world. But that's very inefficient. So sparse images are pretty cool. Cool. All right. Yeah. It, 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 uh, thank you, Scott. That's fantastic. I have a question because you brought it up. Uh, we've all heard about how, of course, Apple supports backing up to a time to uh, across the network to a disk that's connected to another Leopard machine. Right. Uh, and presumably that works fine and, and you can restore from that fine. 
we've all also heard because we've talked about it here that there's a simple little terminal command that you can run on the client machine and that will allow you to back up to firewire to not firewire to disks connected to any machine, including Macs running older versions of Mac OS 10 and other uh, disks. Now, I always kind of stayed away from that. In fact, I've got a 10.4 machine that I would love nothing more than to hang a big, huge hard drive off of it and let it be the uh, the network time machine store. But I've hesitated from doing because it's on all the time. It's our FileMaker server, among other things. Uh, so it would be a perfect thing. It's on all the time. You know, there's no problem hanging a drive off of it. Uh, but I've hesitated from doing that because it's unsupported. You've got to enable this unsupported network transfer thing in, yeah. in Time Machine. And so I'm very hesitant in doing that because I thought, well, maybe the reason it's got to hang off a leopard is because it's, you know, it, it's got to have some of the, the features of the file system that are new in leopard. But from what Scott's saying here with the sparse image, the sparse image really contains all of that. And it doesn't matter what host, uh, what the, you know, what the host computer is. So I, I, I have a, a follow up question for you, Scott, or any of you out there. And, and really, I'd like to know theoretically if it is or isn't something I should do. And then if any of you have practical experience backing up and restoring successfully from a time machine backup that's stored on a non leopard volume across the network that 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 would be i think that's really valuable information to have so i throw it out there do you have anything on that john nope okay uh i think we'll go to uh reuven here because reuven has a well reuven has a question hey john and dave it's uh reuven calling again from israel i have a question i'm trying to find a good third-party firewall for Leopard, something that has greater granularity than the all-or-nothing approach that Apple has has foisted upon us since <laughs> the upgrade to Leopard. So, uh, email address following. All right, John, you're on. Oh no! Yeah, yeah. Well, the first thing I'd try. Hey, and it's free, as far as I can see. Water roof. Get it. Firewall, water roof. Oh, I like Get this. It? Yeah. <laughs> so, anyways, water roof is an interface, and and fortunately, they have a version that's updated for Leopard. So, good news. But it, it links to the I, I think it's the IPFW, which is the the firewall that's built into the Unix that Mac OS X is based on. Basically, this gives you a pretty good level. Though, though I, I would say, Dave, you and I both looked at it. It gets kind of geeky. So sure. if, if you're conversant in firewall speak and you understand things like routing tables and ports and IP addresses and can kind of get around all the, all the you know, technical muckety-muck, then I would say Waterroof is, is a, a place to start. Yeah, I, I, to, and, and I know you've got other things. Just to, to wrap that up with Waterroof, it is a great graphical front end for managing all of the command line mess that you would have to deal with if you were doing it from the terminal. Uh, but, but you still have to understand why you're doing it. Although they do have a configuration wizard that does some of the more common tasks for you. So if you're, if you're just dangerous enough, you know, if you, if you know just enough to be dangerous, then water roof actually might be a good thing because you're using this configuration wizard and it, it does set some bounds uh, for you. So, it, you know, 
head in with with caution. But if you've got an idea as to what you're doing and why, but you don't know all the arcane commands to do it, Waterroof is absolutely the right product. And it's free. Yeah. Beyond that, then what I stumbled across, Dave, was um, as I was doing research on firewalls, I came across a very nice page at uh, Berkeley. Um, and it was updated last on uh, uh, this year. Uh, January 2008, and it's basically a nice little uh, page that outlines personal firewall software for Mac OS X. Because there are quite a few products. Dave and I, you know, we see the vendors at the uh, at the shows. I think you and I are sufficiently geeky where we don't install any third-party firewalls. We, we uh, well, I don't know. What, what about you? I mean, I, I pretty much use the built-in option, Dave. I, I leave my firewall off uh, unless really? I'm traveling. Yeah, and then, mm-hmm. and then I turn it on. Well, actually, that's, that's another strategy because a lot of things like the uh, the Linksys routers and yeah. most routers have some form of uh, firewall built in. But anyways, we'll uh, we'll post this list. They they list uh, yeah quite a few. I mean, none really. Well, one thing jumps out here, and it's not really a firewall, but uh, one thing that I like nonetheless, which is a little snitch, which is more an outbound monitor. Which, um, whenever your Mac, uh, th- this thing will sit and watch what your Mac is trying to talk to. And if it's something that's not in the rules, it'll say, hey, you know, is this okay? Do you want to do this now? Do you want to do this forever? And uh, to me, it, I personally am not so much concerned. Well, it depends. Uh, I, I am much more concerned about things going out that I don't know about than things that are coming in that I know about, I don't know about. Because I'm pretty comfortable with the level of protection that you know my router and my firewall provide where i'm really not too concerned about things coming in but things going out that i don't know about yeah to me ranks higher now it depends on your you know especially if you're a security dude you may differ on this but i think for me for the most part a lot of you know regular users they may have things going out they don't know about. And to me, that, that is kind of scary. Uh, I mean, from a privacy and just, you know, also a hacking standpoint, I mean, you get an errant email and you're not quite sure, especially I think it's more prevalent on the Windows side and you download something, you run something, and all of a sudden, hey, your machine is a zombie and you're, you're helping channel spam for, you know, the scum that do this sort of thing. And uh, <laughs> I have an opinion, yes. But, but uh, so that's my take on this. I, I don't know what you think, Dave. Yeah, no, I, I yeah, little snitch is an interesting thing. I it I have a bad taste in my mouth about little snitch only because um I've seen it used by people that don't understand why they're using it. Uh back when I was doing a lot of consulting and there was there's software like this on the Windows side as well and it forces you to either be overly paranoid about everything that's happening on your computer to the point where you drive the people that you uh, ask these questions of crazy, or it gets you to the point where you install it because you think it's a good thing to know what your computer's doing, which of course in theory it is, but because your computer's doing so much traffic out there on the internet and so much different stuff, you just get into a habit of saying, Oh yeah, accept, 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 accept. And then really you're not using it at all. You're just using it as a way to uh, increase the uh, or to decrease the amount of time it takes to reach the uh, MTBF of the button on your mouse uh, by mm. all those extra clicks. So uh, <laughs> that's really, you know, that that's why I, I, you know, anytime somebody says a little snitch, I cringe. But it's only because of that. It, it actually is when used properly a great, like you said, a great piece of software to let you know 
what your Mac is sending out, because that's really the, the, the concern. So Yeah, yeah, and I agree with you, because when I see it's like, oh, okay, Apple Time Service wants to go to time.apple.com, I'm like, yeah, that, that's probably okay. Right. So, so I, I think I agree with you, is that you have to have a, a high-level knowledge of ports and servers, and because a lot of times when things come up in Little Snitch, it's almost always an application phoning home to say, hey, is there a new version of me? Sometimes it's a weird ICMP kind of ping, uh, some bizarre thing which catches my attention, and I'm like, yeah, I don't know if I want that. But, but yeah, so you have to have a certain baseline of knowledge or just instinct and, you know, develop over time, saying, is this an application doing something good for me or is this, you know, out of the blue and I have no idea, in which case you should say deny Right. Right. So. Uh, all right. I think that's good. If anybody has any stuff on firewalls to recommend, uh, you know, it is it is something that. As we move hmm. forward is bound to be more and more important. Uh, so, you know, if you've if you've had good luck with some, uh, you know, uber sexy, gooey uh, firewall, let us know, because that would that, that would be a great thing. A- Apple has. I, I understand why they've done what they've done with the leopard one, but it's totally not for for even the budding geek anymore. It is simply for, you know, I call it the grandma firewall, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's actually a, a really good thing, and frankly, for their, their customer base, it's probably mm-hmm. exactly the right thing. But if you want to get a little bit geekier with it, Apple offers no path to that other than just letting you, you can go to the terminal and, and mess with IPFW all day. <laughs> well, uh, I, yeah, I mean, talk. Yeah, so <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Have you tried? I, I've noticed, I mean, a, a lot of the shows we've been to, Net Barrier from Intego. I have Seems not. Like a firewall that has been maintained over the years. It looks to be a, uh, yeah, I have to keep the tires on it. Yeah. But, but it looks to be a current product. It, it seems they work on Leopard and, uh, yeah, I mean, you, you can't offer <laughs> any less level of granularity than Apple does. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, what, let's, yeah. Let's, let's get a copy of NetBarrier for you to check out, and, uh, and then you can report yep. back on us. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll do that. All right, cool. Uh, you know what? Let's, uh, let's introduce the band here. Oh, the poor band. It's cold outside. We can bring them in. Oh, oh it'll be worse tomorrow. Yeah, we're supposed to get a pile we're of snow. The, 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 the crowd-pleasing wintry mix. <laughs> they just love that. There's always the ovation and everything when the, when the wintry mix happens. Because, you know, it's not quite rain. It's not quite snow. It's not quite sleet. It's it's a little... Yeah. You get it all. Yeah. It's like an all-in-wonder storm. Yeah. There you go. Oh, man. So this Friday, I don't know about you, but yeah, I think... Uh, yeah, you and I chatted a bit, but it was like... <laughs> just woke up and it... And heard, um, okay, freezing something. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm staying home. Yeah. I, we actually didn't get it. You got more snow than we did, and it started later here. It started, um, I mean, it, it was sort of spritzing in the morning, but it, it, it really picked up, you know, mid-afternoon was when it really kind of hit. Yeah, but we, we got the, uh, the literal sheet of ice right north and that's right yeah my brother had said that that you got snow and then the glaze right over the top of it all Mm -hmm. that's nice that's really nice bumper bumper cars yeah (laughs) oh jeez that's what it's like 
Let's take a look at this here. I've seen it. I saw a video. I, I'll put in the link on the notes, I think. But it was a video of people driving in like, a, it was a, it looked like a city, but it was literally glazed ice everywhere. And there were people trying to operate their vehicles in this. Not and they didn't get it, you know? Hit the brakes, nothing happens. You keep moving. You, you collide with, <laughs> it was terrible. Not good. No, uh, no, you're. Ice, just, you know. Yeah. Physics, ice. You, you can't stop. I'm sorry. No. Nope. Go. Not unless you got chains. And even then, I guess chains, you stop on ice. Yeah. Uh, Michael Johnston, of course, converts this show to AAC for your listening and viewing pleasure every week. And you can read the rest of what he does all week at iPhoneAlley.com. Uh, Cashfly Hosting provides the bandwidth for the show. Podcast Marketplace includes our uh, ongoing sponsors, Audio Engine with their A2 desktop speakers. Bare Bones with BB Edit software. One free download from audible.com as long as you use the audiblepodcast.com slash macgeekgab link. And PDF Pen from Smile on My Mac. I think that's it. I think we're, uh, I think we're good. If you want to sponsor the show, the Backbeat Media Podcast Network is the place to do it. iTunes comments, oh, yeah. we love them. Absolutely love them. Uh, thank you. They're marvelous. They're, I love them. I love them. Uh, 206-666-GEEK, which as you said before, and you'll say it again, is... <laughs> 4335. Yep. Uh, MacGeekGab.com will bring you to the section on Mac Observer that has all of this stuff. Feedback at MacGeekGab.com is where you send in your comments to. And, uh, boy, I, I, I think we're, uh, I think we've, we've, I think that's it. We're, we're all set there. Come out the door. You're out the door. <laughs> thanks for, thanks for playing, John. Uh, it's always a pleasure. Thank you very much for staying subscribed, folks. We really appreciate it. We absolutely love this, and we're almost uh, three years into it. So, Three. Almost. After almost three years, do you have any advice for him, John? Nothing I caught. Made up.